Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuc, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and I am joined weekly by our co-host, Dr. Dan Spanger, professor of history and chair of the Arts and Sciences Department at Lancaster Bible College. As a professor of history, Dan is a bright mind and engaging lecturer, and as an elder here to our Wheatland family, Dan has a warm heart for the gospel of Jesus and our life together as the body of Christ. And I am thrilled to dig more deeply into the scriptures with him each week as we tackle questions, explore connections, and generally unpack the sermon from the previous Sunday. Along the way, we'll take a few side streets, a winding road or two, but we'll never be quite so lost that you won't enjoy the scenery. Thanks for coming along. Welcome back, Wheatland family. Or I shouldn't say welcome back because Wheatland family's been Wheatland family's been here the whole time. It's I'd like to say that the Wheatland family is welcoming me back since I haven't been in church in about four weeks. And Well, and me, I've yeah. sort of been delinquent for two months, at least from the <laughs> pulpit. So. so Wheatland family, would you welcome us back? Please. Um, yes, this is, this is, we're returning to cross-reference for those of you who had not been following last year. Uh, Pastor Luke and I have started up uh, these conversations, which uh, he and Ned, and I'm not sure he's going to take credit for it, labeled it cross-reference. Please note the double entendre there. Very spiritual. Was uh, yes. that you, Luke? Well, I think it might have been me. But if if you like it, it was me. If you don't like it, it was me. <laughs> I want to see the good idea chart on the <laughs> yeah, window. that's right. To see whether that's you're right. taking credit for this. No, I, I will take, how about responsibility? I'll okay, take full responsibility. So the, in the cross-reference, the, the goal of the series that we're podcasting here is just an opportunity really for Luke to sort of unpack where he's headed in the sermon, um, a little dialogue about that. Um, usually what we do here is we follow up a sermon after after Luke has preached it and have unpack some ideas, uh, talk through some things. This we're doing a little different, and maybe something will become a feature, Pastor Leduc, which is yeah. to just take some time to introduce where uh, Pastor Luke is taking us in the next sermon series. So the fall will begin uh, his leadership back in the pulpit again after Keith's uh, work in First uh, John. So this, uh, this time in this podcast, we're just going to be looking at Luke's themes, where he's headed. And this sermon series, as I understand, Pastor Luke, is on Genesis. It is. And uh, let me give it a qualified Genesis, because actually we are not going to tackle all of Genesis, although I toyed with that. Um, all the entirety of the book of Genesis, I felt like would be a little bit much uh, for us to walk through at once. Mm -hmm. So my idea uh, and what I want to do now is tackle just the first 11, well, actually 12 chapters of Genesis, but uh, I'll tell you how we're going to do it. It's, it's a little bit different. We're going to do chapters 1 through 11 prior to Advent, which is the first, I think it's this year, it's the last Sunday in November is the first Sunday of Advent. Okay. So for, for our fall, we're going to do chapters 1 through 11. And then during Advent, we're going to uh, talk about the Abraham story, which begins at chapter 12, and which, of course, um, Abraham is made a promise, and Jesus basically is the fulfillment of that promise, and that's what 
Advent is about. So we're going to call it something like waiting with Abraham or something like that. But yeah, the fall, we're going to do the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And then you can't hold me to this, but perhaps next fall, we will do the second half of Genesis, the patriarchs and the stories that flow uh, for the second half of Genesis. Well, listen, anytime something's online, as I understand it, it cannot be erased. So this <laughs> That's is right. Not, this is permanent record. Medes and Persians, the, <laughs> the, the modern variant of Medes and Persians here. So, so Pastor Luke, the, it seems like Genesis has been put to several different uses in the church. One, it's, mm. it's considered the history Right, right, which counters all secular histories. You got evolution right. on the one. Yeah. Um, it's become sort of a, a a litmus test for fundamentalism, um, mm-hmm. or, or or true faith. You know, if you if you're real Christian, you believe in the six day creation and all of that. Right. So it's got a lot of roles. How how are you seeing Genesis one through eleven functioning here? Are we are we taking it that way, or are we doing something different with it? Well, I mean, I think we'll certainly have some conversations about Genesis one two um, creation, how how to understand it. But I think the reason uh, I was sort of led to go back to Genesis at this time is I felt like um, whenever you get into the middle of a project and uh, it feels like the wheels are falling off of the project, when it feels like there is confusion and and, uh, you're not sure what you're doing anymore. And I think sometimes... Uh, I talked to enough pastors over these last year and a half to say that it feels like uh, for many of my fellow pastors and for me at some points that the landscape, uh, religious landscape, uh, church landscape, um, political landscape has been in such upheaval over these last uh, year and a half to two years that it felt like to me this is a perfect time to go back to Genesis 1 through 11, mm-hmm. and to reorient myself to, okay, what is the story of the world? What We've seen such uh, massive shifts, whether it's just public opinion or, or um, whether it's political philosophy or whether it is even ways of relating to one another. Um, it, it's pushed me back to go and say, okay, what is the story again? Somebody remind me what in the world is going on? And uh, for me, that's what Genesis 1 through 11 does. It is this narrative of the story of God and his world and how he created the world and what he is doing in his world in rescuing it. And so for me, I felt like uh, maybe I need this more than anybody else, Dan, but um I think oftentimes that's how God uses pastors in the life of a congregation is he takes pastors personally into places and you just have to trust that God is, is doing in, in um, people, what he's also doing in a, 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 the, the group of people. Sometimes. Well, that seems so. to be consistent with the biblical, biblical narrative on leaders. Yeah. God takes David and hence takes Israel. Mm. Mm-hmm. But you, you made this one other comment that when, when things are broken, it's fun. It's a good idea to go back to the blueprints. And I, I think we've all, well, at least my generation would have been involved in some plastic model somewhere where a part mm-hmm. was left and you thought, yeah. oh no, I don't know where this, part, I've got one extra part here and I can't figure out where it goes. Yeah, It's inscrutable at that point because the model's half put together and I don't know where it's missing. So right. you pull out those picture 
you know, yeah. guides that tell you with arrows what part goes where, and then you go, is that is that how you see this? This is this is a, a blueprint in a sense for for how we need to engage our faith or what our yeah. faith is. Yeah, I think maybe not to not to take a shot at your age, Dan, but maybe like a more <laughs> modern thing would be an IKEA directions. I don't know, but I can't anyway, I'm not sure yeah, what that is. Yeah, no. The Revel model, I get that. Come on, that's uh, the, yeah. Doesn't everyone do that? Still? I did it. I did. I did okay. the 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air one year as a kid. I okay. I, yep, love those. I'll never but, forget the P40 Tomahawk. It's, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, no, I do. I think more importantly, I think. So I do think that there's a sense in which it is a step-by-step um, -step guide and you can look at the pieces, but I think if both of us, oh goodness, how, how much on this podcast have we talked about um, in general identity and, and the yeah. shifts in identity that um, we're, we're experiencing in our own time and place. And some of it's helpful and, uh, and obviously some of it is um, toxic and, mm. and um, but I think, going back to Genesis reminds us of some very basic uh, paradigms or peers upon which um, identity is built. Mm -hmm. Creator, creature, mm -hmm. those, those distinctions become very clear again when they get muddled. And even the tensions between um, God and humanity get uh, laid out for us in very specific terms in especially Genesis 3, but leading up Genesis 1 and 2, who were you as humans created to be? What, what were you meant to do and to be in the world? And how does it get broken? And, and how, how do we think about that now? And so, yeah, there's a sense of which is a blueprint. I think there's also a sense in which it is in a world and in a time where our personal stories seem uh, to be at the center of a lot of our thinking. Um, let's go back and hear what our personal stories uh, are meant to be according to the design that God had at the beginning. So that, that design maybe is a more apt metaphor would be the, uh, the puzzle box lid, mm, all our pieces yeah. are all in disarray, something along those lines. Right. I think we're putting, yeah. to, your, to your point, I think, yeah, we put, we have all the parts God's given mankind, all of them, but we just keep rearranging them and rearranging yeah. them rather than yeah. listening to something's very awkward to our culture, which is God actually has a place for all of those parts. You may not yeah. like where they belong, but that's what he's designed. And yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think the Christian story, uh, the story of the church, uh, the story of God's people from the very beginning, all the way up through, I'm, I just embarked, this is kind of a, a side note. I just embarked on uh, reading Philip Schaff, who was a, a church historian from the 19th century. His entire, um, is it eight volumes oh of church history? I, I'm never going to get through it, but it's fun to say that I've embarked upon it. So, so I'm looking at my bookshelf where they stand. Yeah, but I, I wanted to read you. It's, it's wonderful stuff, but I wanted to um, read you this little quotation that he he says that i just found i just found arresting basically it talks about god as uh there's this one phrase that i remember he is the interpreter redemptive history i think is actually what what schaff uses is the interpreter 
of all revolutions. Hmm. And so to me, that's why going back to redemptive history and God's history is so important because as a Christian, my worldview is that God's sovereignty, God's dealing in the world is the interpreter of all revolutions. Mm. And I think it's so fascinating that uh, Schaff was saying this back in the 19th century. Mm. And that now, of course, we've, we've had our own revolutions in thought even since then, probably revolutions that Schaff may or may not have been able to imagine. Mm. But it still holds true that Genesis 1 through 11 as the beginnings of redemptive of history, primordial history and primeval history and history of humanity. Uh, I'm going back there because I believe this is the interpreter of all of the revolutions mm. that we are experiencing today. Now that's helpful because I think if our if we were to if we were to pan out with the way our culture looks at history and time and probably the way we've been trained to do it is very linear and progressive. Things were simpler. Things are more complex. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, back then it's it's sort of superstitious and backwards. And, and we'll try to understand Moses didn't have a good grip on all of this. But right. now through science and we're learning more that 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 view of history tends to tends to talk about the past, maybe even Genesis one through eleven, as the seed in a sense that has to grow and expand. And you can't understand the fruit of the vine until you get back to the seed. Almost like it's the it's the source in yeah. packed form. That simply now just unfolds after Genesis 11, all the way into the present age. Yeah, no, I I, th- I think that's is so helpful. Um, and the reason I'm doing this is because I I think there I don't think that all of us understand understand Genesis one through eleven yeah. that way because of what you hinted at earlier in our conversation is that Genesis one through eleven has uh, been used in quite a number of different ways in the modern church. And depending on what brand of the modern church you um, were reared in, if you were reared in a very, uh, as you put it, fundamentalist uh, tradition, then you would have understood Genesis, especially Genesis 1 and 2, to be primarily an apologetic against uh, Darwinian evolution. Right. Um, so, so uh, and I, you know, we, we're not going to talk a ton about all of that, but we will say, here's what, here's what we think Genesis is doing. It's interpreting all of these stories. So, and, you, so you, and you said that, I think you've got, you mentioned really two themes in there. One is it restructures our identity, but also it sets the pattern for, or is in mm. microcosm, the whole story of redemption afterwards. So should yeah. it reframe not only my identity, but should it reframe how I even look at the story of redemption from Genesis through, through Revelation? Yeah, I, I, exactly. So one, one, of the, one of the things that, uh, you know, that I have to give away early is that my approach to Genesis is that it is a coherent book, right? Okay. It, it's, it's, it is indeed a story um, that has been put together as incoherent form. Um, we're, we're not looking at it as this disparate things that somehow, all, but it is intentionally been brought together in the, in, the, um, in the form that we have it to tell one uh, sweeping story. And uh, I think 
the way I've been thinking about us coming back to Genesis 1 through 11 is not only does it give us sort of an interpretation of where we're at now, sort of our own contemporary time, but I think it gives us uh, an understanding of the rest of the Old Testament, not just, not just um, you know, uh, the rest of redemptive history, but there's a way in which is if we approach Genesis one through eleven um, in 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 some funky ways, uh, we will have a a funkified <laughs> reading. The theological approach. term, by the way. Yeah, a, th- a very theological, very precise technical. term. Yeah. Um, but but that will carry over into the way we read the rest of the Old Testament, yeah. and and I think. Goodness, you know as well as I do. You you teach students uh, on on a on a you know a weekly basis who have a who have a very sort of unformed and um, uh, malformed uh, understanding of the Old Testament in general. Hmm. And so I think getting Genesis one through eleven right actually gives you your old testament back in a way that you know in modern evangelicalism and i hate to make that a whipping boy but um it's it's become you know almost a a silent part of the scriptures for us or an apologetic piece or tool yeah rather than rather than a paradigm formation or rather right what sets right. our understanding for what's right. to come. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been closed. It's been closed to us where the new Testament, of course, we, we get that we, do, we don't get the old Testament, but I want to, I, I, I want to say something here, Luke, I I've read the, I've read in my, in my Holy King James version several times. Genesis, I see no red letters in there. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I think you're just talking it's about not backdrop. That important. It's, yeah. It's backdrop. It's yeah. This yeah. Is not the... Exactly. And that's the sort of thing that I hope that we'll have time <laughs> to ring out of the listener. No, we won't ring it out of you, but we will challenge. I hope, I hope, I hope that this will be a very challenging piece yeah. for people. I, I am, um, I am under no, uh, I'm under no delusions that this may not present um, challenges. And I want to be sensitive to those as well. You know, my role as a pastor is a little bit different than the role that some of my professors took in in seminary. Um, I had one particular professor um, whose job, who I, I can only assume he felt his job was just to destroy you and make you feel like you didn't know anything and you couldn't trust anything anymore as he um, just sort of attacked every assumption that you had had about the old testament or about the genesis narrative and so i you know i've experienced that in my own seminary education at westminster and so i want to be pastoral as well with this because i know that there this uh the questions that people have about genesis one and two are very emotional and um and and loaded sorts of questions. So um, I think that's that's my other role as well. I just want to give voice to that, that, you know, we're not here just to bludgeon, bludgeon someone and leave them, you know, in this state of deconstruction or, or whatever.
But what else can you can you give us some other? I think you've talked about there might be some themes that we can start to listen for. Yeah, because that, you know the other, and I think you've already hinted this. There, there are ways of doing this. Would be a verse by verse analysis or something really broadly thematic. Yeah. It sounds like you're charting a direction yeah. somewhere between those two. Yeah, there is there there are some themes, um, but. I just found the quote that I was looking oh. for from <laughs> Philip Schaff. So if I get to that, if I, I just want to read this because I found it so moving and so um, confirming for us as a congregation mm-hmm. as we go back to Genesis. And then, yeah, let's talk about sort of the particulars of the themes that I hope for us to okay. unpack in in the the. The, we'll have an introductory sermon and then 10 sermons. I, on. I give I give way to, to Dr. Schaff. Okay, uh, so the floor is yours, Dr. Schaff. Um, the central current and ultimate aim of universal history is the kingdom of God established by Jesus Christ. This is the grandest and most comprehensive institution in the world, as vast as humanity and as enduring as eternity. All other institutions are made subservient to it, and in its interest, the whole world is governed. It is no afterthought of God, no subsequent emendation of the plan of creation, but it is the eternal forethought, the controlling idea, the beginning, the middle, and the end of all his ways and works. The first Adam is a type of the second Adam, Creation looks to redemption as the solution of its problems. Secular history, far from controlling sacred history, is controlled by it, Hmm. must directly or indirectly subserve its ends, and can only be fully understood in the central light of Christian truth and the plan of salvation. The Father, who directs the history of the world, draws to the Son who rules the history of the church and the son leads back to the father that God may be all in all. All things says St. Paul were created through Christ and unto Christ. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in all things, he may have the preeminence That's from Colossians one. The gospel, says John von Mueller, summing up the final result of his lifelong studies in history, the gospel is the fulfillment of all hopes, the perfection of all philosophy, the interpreter of all revolutions, the key of all seeming contradictions of the physical and moral worlds. It is life. It is immortality. Hmm. Sounds like a confession. Yeah, it was. I mean, I'm sorry. I know that was an extended quotation, but I felt like line after line and wave after wave of that comes back to say, if redemptive history, if everything in secular history is subservient to what God is doing in the redemption of his people and this church, that is a way to go back Mm. and reread Genesis Mm. 1 through 11 and to have our uh, to have that be the story for us rather than trying to make it make sense with all the other stories. That's so if you, if you could say, is that, is that the summary or, or your ambition for this set on Genesis is that, that, you, that the people, our people would see that. Yeah, I would love that. And I, I, 
I think, well, I already know, at least my experience thus far has been my grand ideas for these things <laughs> always fall far short of what I had hoped they would be. So, um, but aspirations, right? You gotta, you gotta aspire to something. Well, if, if, if nothing else, the pastor is the great truster in the Holy Spirit. So Th- there you go. Among That's it. That's right. Well, that's that's exciting, and I think that gives texture. And I, I'd like to keep that in front of us then, as we go through yeah. discussions on yeah. this. Is how does each sermon sort of return to that and patch that together? Mm-hmm. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll keep that on our the lintels and on our foreheads, if we if you will. Um, in light of that, what kind of what are the some of the themes that are going to help us navigate Genesis one eleven sure. eleven in light of that? So I think uh, there are so many themes and so many stories. And I think all of the stories in Genesis 1 through 11 somehow are dealing with uh, these, these five major themes anyway. But um, I see us tackling uh, the theme of creation, mm-hmm. um, the theme of the garden and paradise, um, human rebellion, uh, grace and judgment and grace, how those two things interplay in the first 11 chapters, uh, grace and judgment, judgment and grace, the interplay of those. And then of um, the, the mandate uh, that God was, that God gave to Adam and Eve to uh, fill the earth and subdue it and, and to go out and, and to bring it under uh, the dominion and rule of, of God and the scattering of nations that you see at the Tower of Babel um, as another failure of humanity. It's after the flood, humanity's given the mandate again to go and uh, subdue the earth and fill it. And uh, in the same way that Adam and Eve failed to do that in Genesis 3, it seems to me like humanity uh, reconstituted after the flood fails again to do it by gathering all at one place there on the plain of Shinar, um, trusting its technology of the brick, you know, that uh, Mm. glorious technology of the brick, and um, then uh, trying to make a name for themselves rather than spreading out throughout the world and Mm. and, um, caring for and subduing and cultivating and filling the earth. So the five themes basically are some version of those. They're not all particularly worked out in neat and tidy um, statements so far, but something like the earth is God's good kingdom. Humanity is the crown jewel as the Imago Dei. And then especially in when we start talking about human rebellion, um, the tension between the authority given to humanity and the autonomy that humanity is seduced by every time. So it's, it's not enough to receive the great and glorious gift of God's authority as the image of God. And we'll talk a little bit about, uh, you probably uh, have talked about this in some of your classes, Dan, um, that image that, you know, in the ancient Near East, kings would set up images of themselves in far-flung places of their realm that would represent that their authority, even though they are in another 
part of the world, their authority is here in this place and is to be respected. And so, so lots of things to do with that, but that the interplay and the breakdown within uh, the human story of, of autonomy and authority, or authority versus autonomy. Yeah, that's um, helpful. I, th I think what I think, and maybe to go back to our previous conversation, if history, especially biblical history, just becomes a string of events um, that get us from one place to the next, then we, we lose the fact that, that this is recalibrating, right? That, that mm. in these themes that you provided, God is not just saying, oh, there was a creation. I think C.S. Lewis said something to the effect of, if you look at the world, your gut reaction is that this is not something getting better. This is something that's lost. Like it used right. to be grand. It's, these are ruins of something. That are, and that yeah. just, just that simple statement is this total reversal of the way you look. We've been taught oh, evolutionarily yes. in a modern world to say things were always getting better, but you, you know, in your gut, that's not the case. And, and this, this lays out such a view yeah. of the world that you can't accept yeah. that things start out simple and just grow and grow and improve and improve. Right. And societies right. are always getting more brilliant than they used to be. Yeah. Um, I, had a, I had a student in one of my classes, I'm doing an intro, and I just said, you know, what is what does modern mean? And long story, and one student said, well, modern is any time when, when the world becomes more humane. Like, hmm. it, it's much more humane than modern was. And I, and I said, oh, I, it's true if we measured by, like, say, beheadings or, you know, torturings. But the 20th century killed somewhere in the vicinity of 200 million people by war. Mm -hmm. so, but, but, even, but even in his thinking, we've been trained to say, it, the, the future is always getting better, but that's yeah. not what Genesis 1 to 11 yeah. says. No, right. it, it's actually saying we're getting better and better at making things worse and worse. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, so that's the real, story. Yeah. yeah, it's true. That's but that's, Genesis I mean, 1 through 11. But, but doesn't that really, and I think the themes you're, you're calling us to really don't become just historical sort of markers, but they become patterns that we see the world in, right? Yeah. Creation is, is yeah. God's design, which has fallen the garden is what God said it ought to be, but we've made it something other. I can see how that those pieces help to reframe, yeah. will reframe maybe the way we see them. Right, right. Uh, that's uh, that's my prayer for our time together. And and then of course, in the middle of it all, uh, in every story of of humanity getting better and better at making things worse and worse, you see <laughs> tagline judgment and grace at yeah, every yeah. point. Judgment and grace. Judgment and grace, which is the amazing story, of course, of God's love from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. well, that's not, and that's going to be that's going to be a bit of reworking too, because I dare say that there's this tendency. I forget now who the early was it was it Marcion had the idea that the Old Testament God was bad and mean, mm -hmm. and the New Testament mm -hmm. God is nice yeah. and good. Well, yeah, it's that's, just a tendency. It's a modern tendency of looking at the scriptures that way. Yeah, there's and and I think um, you know that's the whole uniqueness of Israel's. Um, origin story versus the other nations that were around her, their mm -hmm. origin stories is that uh, creation comes about because a God overflows with love mm -hmm. and, and creates um, a, a world in which he might fellowship with his creation, where in many of the other ancient Near Easterns, they all have uh, origin stories that mm -hmm. are similar to the origin story that we'll, we'll read in Genesis 1 to 3. Um, but it's almost always about a God murdering another. There's this God intention with another God. And so Israel's stories, no, there's only one God who creates. Out. So yeah, there's these, it is, it is a very different view of the world from the very beginning. 
And that's that that's something that I think has dawned on me. I don't think I got this in seminary. We talked about Genesis and creation, uh, Palmer's book, the, the Christ of the Covenant, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. which I thought was very good. No Palmer yeah. Robertson's book, um, which is very good. But it, it what it I think what I've learned later from my own interactions here, uh, some of my friends is that and and scholars is that actually the Genesis one is not it, it is the start of a relationship. That's true. But it also recalibrates all of reality for the sake of the Hebrews. And I've said this mm. ad nauseum in other contexts, but that just really impresses me that that how has my worldview been and the way that the world I live in has been informed by something else. And when I read Genesis 1, even that, but let's say mm -hmm. 1 to 11, I realize I live in a, in a universe very, very different than, than the one God is describing. And it's right. As one of my friends said uh, here, uh, Jeffrey Ryder says, when you become a Christian, you have to lift this whole house of your beliefs and relocate it on into entirely new foundation, this different world that God mm -hmm. describes, not the one that your culture describes, which right. I think is an apt yeah. metaphor. Yeah, I think that's And I, too, came to this, this idea um, a lot later than it seems it seems even reasonable. Like, why, is, why hasn't this been taught a long time ago? Which is why I'm eager to share this with our people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, because I think this can do really good work as yeah. we navigate the craziness that is our world. And, and I, the world, yeah. and for them to see that the world has always been crazy. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the idea that the world is ending is, is not a new no it's not a new belief yet and the, and the chaos of the world has cyclically yeah. gone through things like this yeah. and far worse this is historically mm -hmm. considering mm -hmm. this is actually pretty good right by all the comparisons yeah well i look forward to this i know that um i know in the modern preaching schema it's the it's the gospels and pauline letters that tend to get yeah. the weight of attention which for good reason there's a lot yeah. of clarity that comes from god's work but yep. but to get these reframing pieces and to get us back into the story yeah. that god is telling is really yeah powerful. So I look forward to that. Well, thank you, Dan. You can be praying and our people can mm -hmm. be praying as we, as we tackle this. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it and I'm looking forward to it even more after our conversation today. So thanks for adding to yeah. the uh, soup as it were. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you. And then we've got, and just so everyone listening, we know that this is, this is going to start our weekly conversation barring any natural disasters of any kind. Um, we'll be doing this weekly after the sermon next week. Uh, as there's a guest preacher, we will jump out of cross-reference and into two professors and a, two pastors and a professor, mm -hmm. and we'll be mm -hmm. introing our discussion on gender. So that'll be next week, That's um, right. the first week of September, and then the following week, second week of September, we'll jump back in right. with a discussion after Luke's been in the pulpit. So. That's right. So this sermon series begins on September 12th, Sunday, September 12th. Right. So we'll start our our dialogue after that. Good. Thank you, Pastor Luke. I look Thank you, to Dan. Us. Glad to be back in the saddle. <laughs>Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.